podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Manchester United under Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. Manchester United have produced the impossible. Welcome to United Hour, your official Red Cafe podcast for all things Manchester United. I'm your host this week, Nick. I'm Cole. I'm Ashwin. And I'm Jamie. Oh yeah, we've got a bumper panel of four stretching from England to Scotland to Ireland and then all the way to our, uh, our other side of the Atlantic to New York to get our American uh, correspondent over here. <laughs> and we look, we had planned our typical weekly podcast yesterday to talk about Burnley win, to talk about going through in the Europa League. But all of a sudden, the whole world of football has been turned absolutely upside down. So we decided to delay this pod by 24 hours so we can talk about everything to do with the European Super League and what is going on. I mean, yeah, big, big moves going on in football still. Like every hour, there's new news coming out. And I'm sure even by the time we put this out, there'll be more information coming out there but we thought it was going to be a good time just to discuss everything we know so far put out some of the information that's there dispel some of the myths as well and yeah just give some general thoughts on here and most of the show is going to be blaming Oshwin for all of his American <laughs> sports uh, franchise coming in over here but uh, <laughs> we're visionaries uh, what can I say <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But yeah, look, let's get into it. Like I said, you know, originally we had a nice win against Burnley and we were all ready to talk about that. Then somewhere around there was like leaks of information coming out. And uh, it all kind of became official late yesterday, which is Sunday, recording this on Monday. And this Super League has been announced. We're getting bits and bits of detail. But, you know, if we just go back a bit in time, this is actually something that's been talked about for. I'd say decades, really. I mean, obviously, I'm always the the oldest member here, and I can remember when the Premier League was first started. And even back then, people were talking about European Super League, and in fact, that is how the Champions League first came about. But more and more, there's always been talk about there being a more breakaway. And finally, it looks like certain clubs, including our club, are ready to lead this forward. Um I mean, yeah, Jamie, I know you said you've been looking at some of the details of what exactly the Super League is about. I mean, there has been some myths there. Some people said, oh, are we going to leave the Premier League and things like this? But look, this is a competition that is supposed to come and basically challenge the Champions League. It's supposed to be a midweek European competition. And there's 12 teams in there, six from England, three from Spain three from Italy, and there is supposed to be others joining in there. They want to get up to 20. Uh, You know, it's a constantly kind of moving page of information. But yeah, why don't you throw out some of those details that we know for sure so far? So at the moment, we know there's 12 of these founding clubs. As you said, there's the six from England, there's a three from Italy, and there's a three from Spain. Uh, We know that there's meant to be 15 founding clubs, so there's still space for three clubs to be approached. At the moment, it does look like Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund and Leipzig, as well as actually Porto, have all declined. So they were all approached individually by the collective and invited to be three of the other founding clubs. And all of those clubs have actually turned it down. So at the moment, there's still a gap of three and it's not really clear who's the next lot of teams that's going to be approached. 
that's, as I say, just to make up the founding clubs. But what's actually then going to happen is on, I don't know if it's a meritocracy in order to get in, but each year there's going to be another five spots up for grabs. But there only is those five teams who can come in and out of the league. The other 15 are fixed in the competition, so they cannot be relegated. That's kind of where this it sticks in the craw for me a little bit, but that's by the by for the time being. So 15 teams cannot be relegated out of this league. We know who 12 of them are. The other three are yet to be decided. And then on top of that, the other five teams that will be invited for the inaugural season, we don't really know how that's going to work yet either. So there is still a gap of eight places. Um, with regards to the Premier League for the domestic teams in England, they want to remain in this domestic league. So they are arguing that they are going to leave the Champions League. We've seen that Man United were the first to do it today. They resigned from the ECA. So that's like the Association of European Clubs. And Edward would step down from his position within UEFA. That more or less indicated Man United are at the end of taking part in these UEFA competitions, such as the Europa League and the Champions League. They want this Super League to run concurrently with the domestic leagues. So as far as they're concerned, they are not going to be leaving the Premier League. The other clubs, from what I've gathered, have all come to the same conclusion. They are not going to leave the domestic league. They are going to keep playing. And all indicators seem to say this group of six, and then it happens for the three in Italy and the three in Spain, they don't believe the domestic leagues are strong enough or brave enough to kick them out domestically. So even though they want to do that, the Premier League, they are angry the other 14 teams, I would imagine, are all very angry as well. They want to have them kicked out. But the big six have taken the view that no matter what happens, they will not be kicked out domestically. If the Premier League even takes steps to kick them out, they don't think it would even stand up in court. So they'll take them to court, they'll fight this all the way, they'll stay in the league, and then this Super League will run concurrently in place of where the Champions League used to be. Yeah, and you know, even though this announcement, like I say, has come out of the blue a bit, like there's been talk about it for several months. Last year, we had talk of this project Big Picture, which was the first time we started to hear where maybe some of the American owners had got together, had had some ideas about reforming power around the Premier League, and were offering some carrots lower down divisions to try and get that through. But it was, it was not voted through because we still have this vote in the Premier League where 14 out of 20 have to back anything and they were rejected. And this is the problem they constantly have a lot of the big clubs. They think they should have more power and more say, whereas at the moment the Premier League is set up one club, one vote. And there is actually a meeting going on, I think, right now tonight between the other 14 Premier League clubs who are all sat around today discussing what they think about it all. Um, yeah, look, there's going to be serious ramifications coming all the way through. And as I said, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading, thinking, and it's still like you can't work out how this everything is going to change going forward. I mean, Oshwin, coming from the American sports side, I guess you're more used to these ideas. And I think for us, 
The biggest issue is when they start talking about this kind of closed shop setup with no relegation, where the same teams kind of are guaranteed to play. You finish bottom, whatever, it doesn't make any difference. You're still in it again. And I, I mean, for me personally, that is the biggest sticking point and is where it kind of falls down. Because, you know, we're used to that yeah. kind of thrill. And even though, in theory, uh, for us, it should help us. Manchester United, maybe some people would think Manchester United fans are happy. They want to be in it. They're going to be in it guaranteed every year. And, you know, we've obviously had this issue in the Champions League where since Alex Ferguson's not been there, we've not qualified for the Champions League half the time. But for me, you know, I wouldn't ever want it to be like that. But in American supports, that's the way it goes, isn't it? The teams are fixed. They're like franchises. There's no relegation. Everybody's guaranteed to play. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly how it is. Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting because uh, we had a debate today our WhatsApp group about you know, how motivated uh, is United's ownership anyway to to really push for titles or are they just happy with Champions League qualification? Um, so you could be worried that with a closed shop they would even be less inclined to to you know put in more money as much money as they could to try to win because it's a closed shop they're guaranteed X amount of profit every year probably. Um, those are valid concerns. That's obviously that's a problem in certain American sports, specifically baseball. Um, but in most American sports, I would say that's not really that much of an issue. I think most um, most franchises and most sports leagues try to win every year. Um, and obviously, certain markets, like if you're in New York, LA, Chicago, bigger markets, you make more money, you have more scope for spending. Um, but you know, there's obviously been some proposal that there'll be a 55% uh, kind of way, like limit on expending based on revenue. Um, so that would kind of cap uh, expenses for each team in the Super League. But we'll see how that goes. I mean, the, the nature of American sports is so different because everything has a salary cap. And there's ways to get around it uh, in basketball and in, in baseball. But, um, you know, the NFL and all that stuff, they have hard caps and you have to but figure it out every year underneath that number. Um, I don't know. I, I I think I actually I don't like it, and I know that's like probably not uh, how I came across at all in our WhatsApp group. Um, but I I don't think it's a very. I I understand why everybody hates it, and I think it's like you know I started following the Premier League because you know it, it's its own competition, and then it's nice to have like separate competitions, right? And um, you get a chance like you don't play Real Madrid every year. So when you play them, it's a big deal. Or you don't play PSG every year, you know, name a club, AC Milan, whatever. So that that is always like a draw. Um, and I, I do think it's really cool that there is that kind of threat of relegation and promotion um, that occurs in, you know, England, obviously, and European uh, football all across the board that doesn't exist in American sports in anything. Um, actually, I think it was suggested they add that to MLS and that got shut down really quick, um, over here. So, um, I, I really enjoy that. And I, I agree, like the, the closed nature of the proposal that we're seeing anyway, does seem kind of shitty for lack of a better word. Um, I don't really like that. I, I mean, it, they have what five, it was a five teams, Jamie, that like can come in or qualify, yeah. but yeah. you know, it's but if you have five teams that can qualify, but 15 can never drop out. So like you could finish 10th or something. And if, if there's 10, if there's 10 teams below you, they're all grandfathered in, you drop out. I, I don't know. I don't really understand that. Yeah. I mean, the fine details are still not there yet. And we're still, you know, waiting for all of it. And I think they're still trying to work a lot of these things out themselves. Uh, you know, they've, 
pushed it all forward and announced it, but it's pretty clear that there's still not everything in place. But even Nick, to come back to the kind of Americanization point, the, the thing with that is, and it's been a big story that this is, you know, the first step towards that and that it's being driven by these American owners who have seen this model work and a lot of them own um, franchises in America. But in reality, it, it's not even that because the American system for most of its sports is so fundamentally different in that it's completely backed up by a collegiate system and then a draft system. And also, when the NFL or the NBA were, NBA were founded like 100 years ago, that was the way they were founded, as I understand it, with 30 teams, 32 teams. No, no, no. It's, uh, they, they added teams as you go along. But, added after, yeah. but it started on that general premise. It's yeah, always right, been right. that kind of way, do you know what I mean? So it's not like they ran it a certain way for 100 years and then completely obliterated that to do something different. And equally, if you are drawing the comparison between an American version sport versus a UK or European, you really have to view Europe as America, which totally sets aside the local leagues, which again, you know, America just doesn't have that. So we have European competitions and we have, you know, the English Premier League or the La Liga or Serie A. And it's just, it, it's just so much more complex. They're not making it a more American system. They're making it a system that benefits owners. That, and that's, that's all it is. It's just a way for them to guarantee money and guarantee their place in world football forever essentially it's not it's not to make it more like something else it's just to make it exactly what they want it to be last week i think they came out uh forbes had the 20 uh, yeah most valuable valuable. clubs yeah and if you look at the list just look at the list and then look at the super league teams and look at the teams that they try to they're in trying to get to join them psg bayern Borussia Dortmund, it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do. It has nothing to do with, like, I know there have been a lot of jokes about, oh, well, like, I, I, those are funny jokes and I get it, but, like, you know, use your brain for five seconds and it's not hard to figure out why those clubs were invited. It has nothing to, and, and like, as much fun as it is to make fun of Arsenal, right? Um, I saw, you know, I've seen people talking about, oh, well, you know, Leeds was our big club and not Nottingham Forest, they were a big club. And that's true, they were big clubs, but that's like, you can't compare. The, what's happened in the Premier League era where the sport has become global. It's a totally different ball game you're talking about now. Like a club like Arsenal and Spurs, yeah, they can be a joke. They can be 10th, 11th, 12th in the table, but they have an international market. They have international draw that a fallen giant like Leeds and Nottingham Forest back in the day, they did not have that to fall back on in terms of revenue streams and stuff like that. So um, it's just it's just completely different to to compare it. And And I understand why like – like I, I do think it sucks. Like I think it sucks that a club like West Ham this year, you know, like they're playing for Champions League, uh, you know, going into the weekend, right? Granted, they lost Newcastle, um, but like they have that kind of goal that they're playing for. And when this something like this comes out, it almost, I mean, it, it cuts them. It it, it just like it, it sucks. It, it just it really takes away from kind of the drama of the Premier League and not just the Premier League. I mean, every league, right? Um, There's kind of like those race for the Champions League places. The one massive benefit so far has been the drama of the announcement, frankly, which is better than any football this weekend. (laughs) And I've enjoyed that immensely. And it's probably not the right thing to say, but but there is, I mean, I've had such a fun day and it's horrible (laughs) because there's a lot at stake. Obviously it's, you know, it's, it's uh, the heart and soul of our football, but on a certain level, it, the drama is just in, like it is engrossing, you know? No, it is, because it, it was a complete bombshell. Like I said, it's 
not like new news. As I said, it goes back to last year where there was first talks about this project, project big picture. And we have heard already before that, you know, JP Morgan and banks in the US were putting together big amounts of money to try and push towards the big clubs. And of course, a lot of this is pushed by the American owners, which is, yeah, Fenway at Liverpool, Cronke at Arsenal and our own, obviously, the Glazers. Um, there is as well, um, I think AC Milan also linked to like US ownership. I think you were talking about that, weren't you, Colm? Uh, they've got some pretty dodgy... <laughs> I don't really want to go into it because it'll just be a vociferous rant for 20 minutes about some of the worst people um, and uh, vulture capitalists on the face of the earth. But everyone, I mean, you could pick any owner out of this top, you know, this top 12 and probably go and look at why they are absolute, forgive me, scum. But if you particularly want to depress yourself, just Google the current AC Milan ownership and how they have made their money specifically around third world and developing countries it is absolutely horrible horrible stuff and for people like that to come into possession of a football club with such a proud and storied history and yes that's because the previous owner essentially ran them into the ground that allowed them to come in and scoop them up um, and make you know tenfold their investment and not even be remotely and um, pleased with that as a starting point to want to move that on to even more and more and more when these people already have literally more riches than anyone could spend in their lifetime. But the other side of that point is, yes, these owners are just diabolical. You know, we know ourselves, the Glazers, Ed Woodward, Abramovich, checkered pass to say the least, um, Abu Dhabi, hugely questionable PSG ownership, even though they've opted out again. Huge, like That just goes to show that modern football is awash with owners that really, if it weren't just for their huge amounts of capital should be absolutely nowhere near these football clubs and the gateway to these football clubs has been uefa fifa you know this fit and proper test that now they're playing this kind of role of the downtrodden you know egalitarian football society that we should all rally around and support and and the people that are being absolutely oppressed by these greedy business owners which they are but, you know, they've invited them to dinner. Like, they've gotten into bed with them in every sense, you know. So to not have the foresight, you know, UEFA and FIFA's role and, you know, the FAs and the leagues and all the rest of it is at a certain level like a guardianship of our football, essentially. They're the people who are there to look after it, to govern it, to make the rules. And they have just failed spectacularly. And now we're supposed to buy in to kind of bailing them out and opposing this new movement. And while they do oppose the new movement... I find it very difficult to kind of set all that awful governance to the side when this is just a problem of their own making. This is the interesting thing, because obviously from all round, immediately there's been massive condemnation, you know, starting with like Gary Neville talking through the match and being very, very vociferous and aggressive about his distaste for it. After that, of course, the Premier League have come out, UEFA, FIFA, all the other leagues, La Liga, Serie A have all come out saying they're strongly against it. But yeah, I mean, I I totally know where you're actually coming from there, Colm, because really, this is not actually necessarily a threat to the Premier League. This is a threat to UEFA and the Champions League. 
and UEFA and not an organization that I think like uh, been that great over the years. And yeah, FIFA as well. I mean, there's been so much corruption. So many people have actually ended up in even prison. There's been proven like bungs taken here, there and everywhere. So yeah, with UEFA, FIFA, they're not somebody you really need to be feeling sorry for. But at the same time, football was set up in a way that we were all pretty happy with. And although there was tweaks needed here and there, there wasn't anything as massive as this ever proposed. And this is actually the crazy thing that only like a few days ago, UEFA came out with whole new Champions League proposals for like reforming the Champions League. And all of these things were supposed to be basically to make the big clubs happy. And I guess somewhere along the line, those clubs are still not being happy with it. Um, I mean, yeah, a lot of people have missed a lot of these kind of Champions League reform that was proposed. Um, I mean, I know there was going to be more kind of group games guaranteeing more TV money for everybody. And there was going to be a kind of move towards like the bigger clubs. Um, But, and they thought, I guess UEFA, like even to them, this whole thing was a shock. They thought they'd done enough to keep the big clubs happy, but they've still turned around two days later, stuck two fingers up at them and said, no, we're going to do our own thing anyway. Uh, so yeah, it's not that clear exactly what's gone on there. And yeah, there's been little things coming out today as well. Like, you know, the president of UEFA said, well, Ed, I've seen Ed Woodward on Friday and he told me that he's supportive of everything. And two days later, they say they're leaving. Like The, the weird thing for for me, just following this entire thing is why everybody is so eager to just believe UEFA. Oh, the UEFA president said, oh, nobody talked to him. All these people stabbed him in the back. Shut up. I don't believe him. I don't believe him for, for one second. Like well, he's, one thing he's, I will say, Ashwin, though, right? And it is, I, I totally agree with you. And UEFA leave a lot to be desired. And there's no way you just take everything they say on the chin and at face value. But. I was watching earlier on on BBC News and they were saying, so the reason he's annoyed is because it's not just Woodward they spoke to. I can't remember the guy's name, but the... the yeah, chairman, Agnelli and uh, yeah, Perez. The, yeah. the ties between himself and Agnelli, the chairman of Juventus, I think he, as in the UEFA president, is the godfather of Agnelli's daughter. Is that not just the most hilarious subplot to this whole thing? Like, you know... <laughs> Like not only not only is football being completely undermined, but on a personal level, he's been absolutely <laughs> stabbed in the back by his best mate, and he, yeah. said, he literally came out. Jimmy, you're right. He came out and said something like, "He's told me over and over again that there's no substance to these rumors, and <laughs> yeah. I've never known someone to lie so much." It's like it's a it's a movie plot. Like it's genuinely it's masterful yeah, stuff. Really. Like it's hilarious. He, are, is he that stupid? Like, oh, he told me. It just he, come he on, like just I, trusting and whatever. But, yeah. But, and but, I, but listen, they're obviously like personal friends. They're not no, but, just like but you can associates. Be, but they're not just business people. They obviously have like personal relationship with each other. Then that's that's his problem. Like I, I just can't I can't respect anybody being that naive and yeah, stupid. Like exactly. I'm sorry, it I can't doesn't say a lot that. for his leadership. Is yeah. what I think. What you're saying, Ashwin. Yeah. I mean, but then even 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 that points toward him being honest, though. In, in my view, because why would he come out and so much mug himself off? Because he must know by. By giving this information out, he's going to expose himself as a truly awful president. If you look at the, the reforms that were proposed or whatever, right? These, like, the reforms are being that are being proposed, they don't want, they definitely don't have any interest in like protecting the integrity of the domestic game. They're going to have Champions League matches starting in January, that which cuts into all the cup competitions in various domestic leagues. Um, it's it's also designed to to 
help, you know, because they're going to have stronger, you know, value of coefficients to like it's all all the proposals are geared towards, you know, as Nick mentioned, the teams that are in the Super League, right, to benefit them. So to me, it just seems like they were already trying to appease them. And the Super Clubs probably came to a conclusion. They were like, well, why do we need them at this point? Um, And that's a good question to ask. Like, why, why do we need UEFA to broker this league? Like, even if the issue is, because uh, I agree, it is, I, I, I don't have a problem with creating some Super League. I think there should be an easy, like, there should be uh, an easier path to entry and there should be a way to drop out. And maybe you want to protect the teams at the outset of the league because for the first two or three years, you want to establish some baseline or something. So maybe that is something that we'll see come out uh, when more details come out that, hey, yeah, in two years or three years, we plan to have you know a, sec- a, a tier two that you can come to and teams will drop in and drop out. Uh, we'll see. But like I just – I find the entire thing like you know it's like one scumbag complaining about another scumbag and I just I, I, I just don't care. I, I cannot care about it to the extent where like, like there is something wrong about diminishing the value of – the domestic leagues in the way that this has gone about. I just think that like, I don't think UEFA is exactly innocent in all of this. And I I actually think in a lot of ways they're complicit to let it get to this point because they've let, you know, as you mentioned, the ownership that has come in, you know, and it's, it's, you know, Abramovich, it's the Glazers, it's Abu Dhabi, it's whoever they've let this money come in and just totally drive so many things around the sport insane you know transfer fees agent fees wages this is not organic growth of like these things like if you look if you just look at how wages have grown over the last you know 20 years it is not logical at all it makes it's it's not comparable to the wages of like average people right the the scope is so much different so i think that they're basically they've created this monster and now the monster is eating them and they're pissed off because they're like, wait, we like making money off of this and we can't now. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree in the sense that I think there's two things there to, to kind of unpackage and deal with. First off, which I think is something we should kind of chat about, is how it affects the English league. Because as we've all mentioned, this is actually just someone wanting to replace the Champions League and it actually mightn't or shouldn't, in their argument, have that much of an effect on the English Premier League. Which is completely wrong because if you're saying there's a competition that the same 15 people will always be in and only five out of Europe's top leagues can possibly enter on a year-by-year basis, that immediately is going to destroy quite a lot of the Premier League competitiveness because what is the point in the rest of those clubs You know, even trying to engage on any level with the top six? Secondly, the bumper payments are obscene, so you're immediately going to lift all those six clubs just far and away from the rest. Now, you might say, oh, but that, that money will trickle down because United will buy Leeds players, United will buy, you know, Spur- you know whoever, I was going to say Spurs, they're actually in it, laughable, but other <laughs> teams' players, and then you, they'll see the benefit of that. You know, more money equals more money equals more money, but I, I don't really see that. So it, it can only be to the detriment of the Premier League. However, your point is correct in that we're already so far down that road that you can barely hold back now. Like, the... the there's been good disruption of the top six recently. You know, we've been subject to it ourselves, but broadly, the same teams have the most money and will always be there. And we're already so far down that path with the monetization of football that 
I agree, it sort of seems churlish now to kind of balk at what is just the final form of that capitalist-based approach, you know? And I, and I think it's instructive to look at the teams that have disrupted the top six, right? Okay, this year is a very weird year. But if you look at it, right, Leicester, um, they're a club, yes. Yeah, Leicester are probably yeah. the biggest yeah. team who and, can moan about what's going on over yeah, here. And, yeah. and, and the thing with Leicester is, how did they do it, right? Of course, obviously, they won a league title, and then they actually had to sell it, they like Mares left, Maguire's left, Chilwell's left. They've they've sold players off, but they've invested really well in scouting in a lot of their infrastructures. Um, and that requires what does it require? It requires a wealthy owner, a benefactor essentially, who is willing, who doesn't care, who's not running it for profit, who is willing to invest his own money uh, on top of whatever the club revenues are um, to to bridge that gap. And that's what it requires. It requires outside money, like. You know, UEFA is putting it out there like, oh, you know, the upward mobility that we promote. That's bullshit. There's no upward mobility. Like the only time there's upward mobility is when outside money comes in and pushes a club up beyond where they're, quote unquote, supposed to be. Like, you know, Manchester City, where were they, right? Nick, Nick, you probably saw them play in third tier, League yeah. One. <laughs> whatever they were. I'm, I have no idea. But I'm saying, like, how did they get to where they are? They got there because, you know. Abu Dhabi bought them and pumped in, you know, they're buying Jolien Lescott for 50 million, whatever the hell it was. They're buying a bunch of, and they just kept spending and spending and spending until they got to that level. And they are now a super club, whatever. Um, it just, it just like that, that's, that to me is, you know, England, it seems like anyway, seems to have more, it seems to have attracted more owners that are willing to spend and try to get into that Champions League and whatever. And that's probably because of the actual, success of the premier league domestically uh, just as a domestic competition and because of the international appeal it has and all of the financial um share like revenue sharing that goes on that makes it more equitable um i'm sure that's part of it but like i I think i I wonder if some of the reason for the drive of the super league is not just i mean obviously united i'm not like of course the glazers i'm sure are central to it. But I, I think it seems like a lot of the support probably came from english clubs that are like hey look like I mean, I think England is the strongest league. Uh, I think consistently there are more teams that are probably Champions League quality that don't get in from England because obviously there's a limited number of spots. Um, And I I would suspect that like a strong drive for this came from clubs like Arsenal and Spurs um, who feel like, hey, look, like we're a global brand and we are being left out. I would pick up on that actually. I'd be interested to hear what Jimmy and Nick think, but... I'd ask, how does it make you feel about Manchester United? Because you just said their big drive is maybe Arsenal and Spurs. And obviously, we can all understand their motivations for wanting to be a part of this. But I, I mean, Joe Glazer is going to be the, what, co-chairman or some vice-chairman? No, he sucks. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's going to be the vice-chairman. So like, and I'm under no illusion that we are at the absolute front and centre under our current ownership of driving this. And I just wonder, Jamie, like, how does that make you feel about United in relation to this? You know, to talk less generally about you know, the structure of it and what it means and why it's come to pass and UEFA versus this conglomerate of evil board members. But specifically, like, you know, we've led this. How does that make you feel? See see what you've just said there about how, how does it make me feel from Man United's participation? It, taking out of it the money value that the, that's going to benefit the club, clearly, the angle of UEFA and FIFA, from a fundamental point of being a Man United fan, I don't see how we all just can't be ashamed of the club. And I agree. Yeah, you can split it and say, right, don't be mad at the club because it's the ownership. The ownership's driving this because they want that. Yes, that's true. 
but I just I, I can't fathom how we can let this happen as a club because this just is not what I fell in love with Man United for, why I support the club, what I want the club to be, just everything about this move, everything about the way, and as you said, it's, it's, it's even more embarrassing that the likes of Edward was driving it, the Glazers are right at the forefront of it, they're pushing it probably more than most, more than everybody apart from what looks to be Arsenal and Real Madrid. So that shows we are right at the front of this and pushing it, the close ties between the club financially and JP Morgan and then the obvious link onto Ed Woodward on top of that. So we are driving it and it makes me ashamed, honestly, that we are so heavily invested in this. We're pushing it so hard. We were, As I said, we were the first club this morning to resign from the ECA. Ed Woodward was the first person to resign from UEFA and from the ECA uh, board as well. I mean, that's, that's fighting talk, do you know what I mean? That's, yeah, exactly. He was the first you know? one to put his chips down on the table and be like, right, no, nah, this is happening. And then he didn't even wait for anybody else to make the first move. We were the first ones to do it. Yeah, look, listen, right, to me, none of this is like a surprise because... It's not a surprise. It's just our club has always been at the forefront of the kind of commercial and business side of football, and it's something I've kind of debated online for years and years. Um, obviously, you know, when the Glazers came in, there was a lot of animosity, a lot of protest. Um, for a while, I was kind of even, you know, okay with it. I said, as long as they keep funding Fergie, as long as we can still be successful. But more recently, it's become more of an issue. And I think it's become clear that more recently, Joel Glazer in particular has become a lot more involved with the day-to-day running of our football club. You know, in those early days of the Glazers, they didn't do anything. Malcolm Glazer wasn't interested. He left it to Gilly, left it to Fergie. Recently, things have changed. And obviously, the reason why these owners want change is because they don't like that unknown. They don't like that risk that my team might not qualify for the Champions League and that all of a sudden, there's a £50 million hole in our finances for the next year. They don't. They can't deal with that. And that's why this idea has started. And I actually think the only reason why it's been pushed forward now is due to COVID, right? And you have clubs like Real Madrid, like Barcelona, who've got big debts because they spend big, big, big money to try and win, to try and be bigger than the other. And all of a sudden, there's no fans in the stadium and it's hitting them big. And then we also know the Italian clubs similarly have massive debts. Who've been, you know, Juventus have gone out on a limb to bring in Ronaldo. Uh, Inter Milan have got some Chinese owners who are in like big, big financial trouble. They've pulled trouble back and, right on the funding. Know. They've been, so we know for a fact the reason they're in it, as you said, is because they are skint. They're at the point where yeah. they're just needing money. So. That's it. This is, and this is where the three Americans have seen the opportunity where all these big European clubs all of a sudden are struggling financially to say, listen, this is the time that everybody's <laughs> going to get on board with this because they're desperate and they're all going to sign up to it. And they've gone to Florentino Perez, who's like Real Madrid, and said, you can be chairman. They've gone to Agnelli at Juventus. You can be vice chairman and yeah, we'll all be vice chairman as well. But yeah, you are the guys who can push all this forward. And yeah, that's how, that's it. There's five vice chairmen, which are the three Americans from England. There's uh, Agnelli in Italy and there's Perez in uh, Madrid. And this, you know what you were saying as well, Com, that's how football's gone. That all these, so our six English clubs, five of them do have foreign ownership. Three Americans, 
one Middle Eastern, um, and then there is the one English owner, which is Tottenham Hotspur. You know, secretive guy that people don't actually know that much about. Joe Lewis. Know, Joe Lewis. Um, yeah, you don't hear much from him. You obviously everybody knows Levy. Uh, who's in there and everybody knows what he does over there. So yeah, they've managed to get their foot in the door. I did I did enjoy that they sacked Mourinho as soon as uh They were waiting oh. on that money. All right, we they have the money to pay off Jose now. Just to sack him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's crazy like I just can't get over the goal of it because particularly for us and I just think this is where the big disconnect between United ownership and united fans is really really highlighted but you know us as much as any other club we've obviously historically been one of the most successful clubs in the world the most successful club in england i would maintain um and yet for the past whatever six seven eight years it's been extremely difficult and we have gone through that cycle of falling out you know and that's that is the whole point football has to be cyclical even when it's your turn to go through the shit time you know and i appreciate we as a club have been just miles more privileged than many nearly all of them and that immediately puts us at this advanced position but to go that one step further just to completely remove any kind of performance-based qualification for 15 randomly not randomly chosen but you know teams of a moment chosen it's just i just can't get over the gall of it like it's just it's just protecting that guaranteed revenue stream for them year in year out and a move towards being able to monetize every element of the club, i.e. TV subscriptions, getting away from Sky, monetizing your own matches and making as much money from this horse that you just continually flog and flog and flog until it has nothing else to give you. And that's, it's just bare-faced. And as you say, Nick, they're picking the appropriate time to kind of arm twist other clubs into it to suit their own aims, which is just to make more money. And I just, I just think it can't be allowed to happen from those points alone i actually don't mind the super league idea i don't necessarily think that the champions league is perfect or that uefa should be back to the hilt forever you know i I do think there's a future where football has to change a wee bit and a new club competition might be really cool but it can only be done it can't it can't be done by just locking in teams and the other thing that can't happen is allowing a conglomerate of those teams to govern it you know, you simply cannot, like, as bad as UFR, as bad as FIFA, as bad as the FA can be, etc., as much as we all hate VAR, all that stuff, you cannot let the teams that are only guarding their own interests manage that, you know? Yes, they can manage their own clubs and, and look after themselves and want to maximise profits as much as possible, but they can't then decide for the whole rest of the footballing landscape that things can happen or can't happen because they're only going to serve their own interests. And we as fans, some of our fans might say, well, that's our interest. You know, that's us locked in forever. We're going to enjoy the big nights every single year and we're not going to have to go through the seven years that we've just done. Give me the seven years of hardship. Give me 20 years of hardship to come back and actually earn a place at winning something because otherwise it's just so pointless. It's so pointless. I can't even imagine why anyone would consider it other than the guy who's getting paid. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, we had that, we briefly touched on it about, you know, how would this affect the Premier League? And these clubs are saying, look, we're not trying to touch domestic football. That's not going to change. But it has to change. Like you say, you know, at the moment, part of the whole beauty of the Premier League is that we have six, seven teams fighting for four places at the top to qualify for the Champions League. You know, all of a sudden, if you don't have that anymore, then it's going to change completely. So, of course, it will have an impact, even if those games are still going on and the teams are still happy. And then, you know, you might have this scenario that all of a sudden a Manchester United saying, well, you know, we'll play a reserve team 
and the, in the Premier League because we've got our Super League match coming up. And, you, know, you know, these are all the kind of things that we, you know, you sit sort of think about what are going to be the ramifications of it. And you can, yeah, sit all day and just keep thinking on and on and how it can all go. Uh, you know, there's still obviously about when we talk about different domestic leagues about at the moment, nobody from France, nobody from Germany who are the other two of the big five leagues have joined in. But, you know, there's specific reasons for that. I'm sure PSG would be very happy to come and join this, but their ownership is Qatari. Qatar are also hosting the 2022 World Cup. So they're not going to do anything that goes against FIFA or UEFA or anything like that at the moment because they've got too much interest as a country to be shaking any like boats at the moment. German clubs are also set up in a total different way. And this goes way back into history, how, you know, for clubs like Bayern or Dortmund to sign up to this, they'd actually have to get their fans to vote on it because they have this 50 plus one ownership rule where the fans still own in the majority of the club. So they cannot even agree to this without their fans agreeing to it. And we've seen already in a couple of days that there's no club's fans who are going to go agree to this, even though, you know, it actually benefits you in a way. None of us are happy because it's not football that we've known. It's not the way things have been done, you know, decades and decades. That is the difference. That is the beauty of football, what they want to go and change. And, you know, it might still be that Bayern Munich would like to be involved in this. But yeah, as I say, clubs over there are set up in a different way. And without going on too much of a tangent, it all goes back to 1980s where things changed in English football, where there was certain votes gone. And even back then, it was actually Manchester United and Tottenham Hotspur, who were the two clubs who were at the front of changing English football in the 80s to make it something where owners could actually make more profit out of it. And it wasn't just a kind of charity social enterprise. And then, of course, we've had breakaways before, you know, 1992, that the Premier League was a break away from the Football League. So yeah, these kind of things are not unprecedented. They've happened before. So you know, when you see players like the FA talking about how breakaways are wrong, that's exactly what they did in <laughs> yeah. 1992. They yeah. broke away from the Football League. Or Sky said, we want more putting money. all their money yeah. into bemoaning the monetization of football, which, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I pay, whatever, 50 quid a month for Sky, 20, 30 quid for BT, another tenner for Amazon to watch my football. You know, I would love to get United to stream me straight away every single United match, like pump that shit into my veins, please. I would love for that to happen. There's lots of arguments that people, you know, are quite happy to stand up and with no shred of um, shame, just make the most hypocritical statements that you're ever likely to see. Um, However, where that ends is that those things were still done with a meritocracy in place essentially and that's what this really removes and they also still maintain governance that wasn't just the clubs with their own vested interests which are the two points that i will just never get away from i agree with you nick football has to change just like the premier league when it started i'm sure it had so many doubters and detractors and seemed like the worst thing in the world and actually for us you know not without its flaws but largely an immeasurable success there is another european path that could be extremely good and extremely successful for world football but it can't be run by a boys club of a list of just the worst humans in the world. I mean, just the oiliest, schmooziest vultures that you're ever likely to see and people that no fan and no one enjoys or respects or holds in high esteem. And they're the people you want governing the situation. And also they're going to be locked in forever. Like it's just, it just can't be that way. It just can't the lack be of, The lack of oversight at the moment is just unbelievable. Like to... Colm's absolutely right when he says that. That's the two biggest points that I agree with that just cannot be allowed to happen. You, you, the meritocracy 
always has to be there. Otherwise, what is the point? Literally, what is the point? And the lack of oversight. So, as we said, these owners and the clubs just decide everything for themselves. And the fact that, as we've already said, so five teams are going to get invited every single year to this. They can't do anything because the teams at the top, Real Madrid, Man United, Juventus, whoever, they'll just rule it themselves, they'll do what they want. There's no oversight at all to hold anybody accountable to anything so they can literally just do what they wish for for the rest. For 20, 27 years, I think it is, the term for this period that they're going to sample this. So basically, for 27 years, they've got the role of the roost. But, you know, they're all aligned now at the moment because they want to push through this new... Well, they're not even all aligned. We're, we're hearing reports that some are very much been yeah. twisted into it and obviously huge amounts of money dangled in front of them and also this feeling of, well, I don't want to be excluded, so I'll kind of jump in. So I think in the coming weeks, we'll see clubs' true position on this as it really comes to the kind of... Uh, hard end of the negotiations essentially they'll clearly be the clubs who are trusting it and the clubs who are kind of just going along with it but can you imagine that say we we do enter into this in the way they're suggesting what's to stop like Perez and Woodward having a massive fallout next year and you know who's you know who's looking after this are we going to buy players from Real and then they don't sell us this player so we go all upset with them and then you have this infighting between these majestic 12 or 15 founders that are meant to be you know the footballing gods like on Olympus it's just an absolute farcical concept because within a year it'll be squabbles infighting dissolution and the whole thing will just completely fall on its arse like it's just it's it's just gross in 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 the way they've currently um, drawn it up, and that's just because you only have to look at who's drawing it up. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think, like you say, it's something that's been pushed through just because there's certain clubs who are desperate for money in current times who are ready to jump on it. And then, yeah, there's the clubs uh, that we know, like we say, Arsenal, Tottenham, even ourselves, who like have been in and out of the Champions League, who don't like that, who want to have those guaranteed big games. Uh, and yeah, it's also just a face of how football is now geopolitics. As I said, you know, you give the list of the owners and there's America, there's Russia, there's China, there's Abu Dhabi, uh, you know, a couple of Spanish in there, obviously. And yeah, this is what football has become now, unfortunately. And the the problem now is, yeah, how can we reverse that? Uh, you know, has things gone too far? How can it go back? You know, you actually see today that today you see this goes up to like government level in England, where even the Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been talking about it today. Uh, you know, it's worrying days when I'm aligning myself with what Boris has to say, but... Uh, <laughs> Boris Johnson very clearly like came out fully against this. Also, the culture secretary said, we will do everything in our power to make sure this does not happen. Uh, so from all sides, there's like parties who are coming out saying, we do not want this to happen, whether it's UEFA, whether it's FIFA, whether it's the league. So it's here. even on governmental levels, it's coming out there. And yeah, as I say, this stretches beyond football. Yeah, this is talking about like full like geopolitics. Uh, you know, you have... As I say, there's countries from all around over there. And yeah, if Qatar could be involved, they would be. So yeah, you have to see how this all goes and it becomes a huge political issues. I still think there is a chance, more than a chance, that this does not go ahead. Uh, as I say, I, I, initially when I heard it, I just said, this is the big clubs just 
pushing like negotiation positions at UEFA to give them even more when things get redone. And, you know, when they started resigning, when they started setting up websites, you know, if you go to the superleague.com, it's already there. It's like a very basic thing, but there is already a website out there. So, yeah, they are pushing it forward as if they're saying it's going to happen. And the crazy thing is they're saying we're starting in August. Whereas, you know, when there was UEFA have come out saying we're having Champions League reforms that are going to start in 2024. Whereas the Super League are like, we're starting in four months time, whether you like it or not. Um, But I just can't see how in that short space of time, have they got a team? TV deal ready? Who's, you know, how is all these things going to be set up in that kind of short space of time? I can't imagine it'd be very hard for them to get a TV deal. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I, this is the thing. All these leagues, right? They can talk, oh, we're going to kick them. Like, this is unacceptable. They're not, like, they're going to kick out United, Chelsea, City, Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool. Really? You're going to do that? No, you're not. You're not going to do that. It, like, this is the, like, they, they can talk all they want, but like, you want to try that in foreign markets? I promise you nobody gives a shit about watching Leeds play Wolves. Um, they don't. They don't care about that here. Okay, In America, nobody cares about watching those two teams play each other. They care about those big clubs. That's why people in America got have gotten into uh, European football, be it English, the big English clubs, be it Real, be it Barcelona, be it you know Bayern, Dortmund, whatever. Those are the big, bigger clubs, PSG, uh, Juventus, whatever. They don't care. Like The only reason they care about following these domestic leagues is because they follow those major clubs. If those clubs are kicked out of the Premier League, you know, you're not just talking – America is you know, my experience, right? But I promise you the Asian markets, those are obviously you know, massive for, for international broadcasting. They don't give a shit about anybody but these major clubs there. Uh, Africa, wherever. You look around the world – these major clubs are the ones that are driving the, the growth, at least uh, financially, of the game in a lot of ways. And you're so far down the road. And it's like – see, the thing is it, a lot and a lot of these clubs, like, their finances are pegged to what was guaranteed money or at least they thought in terms of what was going to be paid out by broadcasters. And those broadcasters had expectations of, OK, well, we're going to get XYZ teams and this is what the level of the competition is. Do you think you're going to get the same – like those contracts definitely would be adjusted. I mean that was one of the major reasons why they came back out of lockdown, right? Project Restart was to recoup as much money as they could. Otherwise, the broadcasters were going to um, take back money or not pay out what they what the contract was promised. So like you already got a taste of that. You already saw what – you know, you rush back. You play through a pandemic. You kind of make up protocols as you go along when outbreaks strike because you just have to and that's – you already saw what the money required, like what it will get teams to do. I don't understand why anybody believes that like any of these leagues is all of a sudden, yeah, they're going to kick out, you know, the six top six quote unquote top teams in England or, you know, really you're going to have La Liga without Real, Barca and Atletico. Really? That's going to happen. It just, it's just unrealistic for me to believe these threats. And like, you know, is that it's it's kind of it's it's messed up that um, these big clubs have actually, I think, in a lot of ways, use that to their benefit. Because I, I mean, quite frankly, if I'm United, I'd be like, okay, fine, kick me out of the Premier League. Let's see what happens. Well, I don't think there has any, there hasn't even actually been any threats of kicking United and the big clubs out of the Premier League. The threats are actually more from UEFA, where right. there's already been talk about saying that 
I think there was somebody, I can't remember, one of the Danish leader of the Danish FA said that Man City, Chelsea and Real Madrid should be kicked out of this year's Champions League immediately and that they should reinstate Porto, Atlanta and Borussia Dortmund or something like that. Um, And then, yeah, the other big thing that FIFA and UEFA have said is that anybody who plays in this breakaway unofficial league is not going to be allowed to play in the World Cup or the Euros. Um, I don't think it should affect the Euros that are coming up now because that's supposed to take place before any of this European Super League. Also, those those players those players aren't responsible for it. They have no they like. T- I mean, from all the reports, it doesn't seem like any of the players at United, Liverpool, any of these major clubs knew this was coming. So I yeah, but yeah, that, that's exactly yeah, yeah. the big problem that none of these owners have consulted with their managers. They've not consulted with the players. They've just decided we're going to do this, whether everybody likes it or not, and fuck you all. And of course, the fans are at the bottom of that pile. Uh, there's been absolutely no consultation whatsoever. In fact, I know somebody who was at the Man United fans forum that meets like once a quarter, like just last Friday, and asked uh, Woodward about you know rumours of Super League, and they deny it all. Like five days ago, they deny it all that anything's happening. I don't even think Woodward was there. Because that was a headline that came out today that he he's yeah. been uh, like the last four, the last five, but the one he didn't go to was the one on Friday because they knew privately this was coming. Yeah, and you know whether he's there or not, whoever was representing, they just said you know there's no truth to these rumours. Maybe he was sick, guys. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing about that, the thing about that is that it kind of brings us back to the start where you know this has not this has not just happened during the pandemic i appreciate what you're saying about that being accelerant and this being perfect time and i get but as you mentioned the start something's been talked about for months in this current guise and certainly for a decade before that and the reason for that is because we have been on this slow steady march and this is just an inevitability it is death by a thousand cuts when you go so far down a road you cannot then say or it becomes so difficult to then say wait 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 put the brakes on we want to go back we actually want to implement this better way of doing things and it's it's impossible particularly when there's money involved because the even the point about playing the euros playing the world cup i appreciate it's going to be very specific to the individual player however broadly i don't think players will kick up a fuss about this at all certainly so far i think bruno's made one veal content uh, comment herrera's come out and said something and dejan lovren are the current uh, leaders of fair, the players' I've union. I've just seen that James Milner was asked, and all right, he's not going to play for England or anything like that again. But James Milner was asked after the game and admitted straight up on Sky, "I don't like it. I don't want it to happen, and I don't want to see it implemented." And, and, and loads of them might say that, but I don't get that. There's going to be this vociferous kind of protest that maybe yeah, would require that, to actually yeah. formulate a change because ultimately, ultimately for the clubs involved, and I look at Manchester United. And I apologise if this is a very cynical view, but this is the world of football that we now operate in. But if you're going to say, guys, we're getting this buttload more cash and that's going to come out into wages. Now, salary caps, get it. We need more information about what might happen. But I just can't see people not feeling that the reward will be, A, enough in terms of a monetary value and that the prestige of this inaugural and new best of the best, super, super, super duper competition will be enough for players to say, do you know what? You know, yeah, World Cups, Champions Leagues, this is going to be kind of better than those as well. Plus, I'm going to make a butt ton more cash. No, I I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that, right? Because things like the World Cup, like, 
the history on that, it's like the pinnacle of any player's career is to win the World Cup. How many players within, say you have a current, a year, a season's worth of players, or say four years worth of players, because that's how often a World Cup comes around, right? So you have that group of players for four years. Out of those 4,000 players or whatever it is, how many of them are going to win a World Cup? No, but we're talking about the 30. biggest clubs. Yeah, we're talking about the biggest clubs. We're talking yeah. about the biggest players. So, all right, you might be talking about France, Portugal. I mean, yeah, England were in Spain. the semi-finals last time. Spain. There's, there's, there's like you know, a decent amount of players who have aspirations to being either European champions or World Cup winners. And you know, for me, that is still the pinnacle of sport. And Whereas, you know, I see a lot on Twitter today of people saying, listen, the fans need to rise up, protest and whatever. And I think the fans should make themselves heard. But at the end of the day, the sad reality is that they don't give two shits about what the fans are saying. But the players and the managers can make a big difference in this. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens over here. And I think, Colm, that you might be surprised. Uh, let us see. One of us will, will be like... For, I'm not wrong. saying there won't be people. I, I hope there will be. Like I, That would be my preference. I would love for to see... You know, People say the players have too much power in the modern game. I kind of disagree. I would really like to see more um, autonomy in that sense. I would love for them to do that. But really, like really, every summer seems like the most important thing in a player's career rather than the actual season you know we just see these eye-watering sums we see these players engineering moves and the dollar signs are are, are the driving factor you know we even see players go to places where we just know they don't really want to play football or that they would have no you know tie to or anything like that or leave situations where you know a club's given them so much just for more money more money more money and yes more chances of winning things but it seems more and more these days that it's not necessarily about winning things it's just about getting paid it's about like, building your brand you see this bullshit in american sports too where it's like guys leave teams because they want to go team up in la or new york or something and they, it's a bigger market and they can expand their brand and they you know they shop it they dress it up as something else like oh i want to i'm discovering myself or whatever bullshit they come up with but that is the big difference actually when you talk about american sports because yeah that is the difference of football where american sports your world series your whatever your super bowl it is just america yeah whereas our pinnacle the world cup it's a worldwide global thing People want to win that. And I do think there are going to be players who, if they're told, you cannot play. You think FIFA's actually going to – if you just if you just apply it to the Euros You're going to take out all of France's yeah. team, all of Spain's team. Portugal. All of England's team. Nearly. I think they will. I think they will make that threat. They'll make the just threat. because it's the only thing Maybe they Scotland have. Scotland will win. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's just it's – not, it. it's not realistic. Like – they they are so invested. Like there's ultimately they're greedy. Like this is the thing. Everybody involved in this is a greedy, corrupt to some degree piece of shit. So once you realize that, there's only one conclusion where they will figure out some middle ground kind of thing. Yeah. And there will be a Euros and there'll be a World Cup and Maybe it's not the Super League and maybe it's not the Champions League, but it'll be the Super Champions League that they come up with. Who the hell knows what it is? But there's no chance that you're kicking these teams out of their domestic leagues, that you're going to ban like literally entire countries' squads from playing in the Euros. It's, yeah. just, it's not realistic at all. I agree. I, th- I agree. Well, actually, I think that's a toothless tiger. I appreciate they have to make the threat. I appreciate they have to, to push to try and make that happen. But th- there's also reports today that there would be very little legal footing for that and that it would be actually pretty – they think certainly the Super League think it would be easily defeated in court if that was the case. Yeah, they 
They apparently already filed uh, yeah, motions like pre- in various courts. Yeah. Well, yeah, you pretty you, you know you expect that they've done a lot of legal work yeah, on this already absolutely. to try and work yeah. out. And, what's and maybe going that on. maybe that plays into their brashness because I think we are all taken aback by the just the absolute kind of cojones of just dropping <laughs> this on us on a random day towards the end of the season. Do you know what I mean? And maybe that kind of plays into. But that's that. the thing to say. And we're starting in August. They didn't say, "Oh, yeah, this exactly. is proposed to start in two years' time. We're going to chat about it." They're like, "We're starting right now." But see, even talking about that, right? The bra- that's the brass neck of them saying we're starting in August. I then saw a tweet that said they've accepted that August might be too soon. <laughs> so after all of this, after all the shits hit the fan over the last twenty four hours, they've now accepted privately that August might be too soon. Which means if we finish second and win the Europa League, if we're still in it, they want us in, like Man United want to be in the Champions League next year. That's what I'm talking about. That, that, yeah, no, it's that's just having the brass neck to say, like, you know yeah. what, nah, long term, we're not interested, we're leaving the Champions League, we're not taking part in the Europa League, we're doing this Euro- European Super League. Then they go away and realise, nah, four months might be too soon, we'll need to do it from August 22, but guess what, we still want in the competition next year. That, that's just mental. I think that just highlights why they will ultimately be successful, because see, even if they were to say, do you know what, lads, we're sorry. They go back to being untouchable anyway. Yeah, you know, these these clubs can't. Our club can't lose. Just can't lose. It's it, the card is stacked. It takes monumentally bad governance to to for a club like ours or Liverpool's or Real or Barca or Bayern or whoever is there is or isn't in it. But clubs of those size, it, you know, it's almost beyond the pale to imagine them not always just being there now because that is just they've just been there at the time where the monetization of football has just gone from you know a very normal level to an absolute skyrocket unconceivable thing from 20 30 years ago and they will always be the benefactors of that and they will always be the leaders of world football it just you know other clubs will rise and fall and rise and fall and they will be constant so even if this whole thing's the plugs pulled on it they'll still be in that position regardless there's no sanction you can place on these teams i think ashwin's right these threats are i think will prove to be largely empty or they certainly won't stand the test of time and my point there is if it's not now it will just be in five years or 10 years this is the slow march of capitalism and football there's just there's just no avoiding it now that is the mass that we have tied ourselves to and we are all complicit in that because as i said to you earlier jimmy we all get our rocks off on the yep. of transfers every yep. single summer we all love to see these big super con- you know transfers we are we have accepted the glazers to a certain point i know there's been protests and we're never ever super happy with them but you know we've all sat and enjoyed the football and, and like i will watch united for as long as i live it just it, you know even if even when i'm appalled and ashamed and i'm disgusted by the owners I can always separate that in my head from the 11 red shirts on the pitch and I will always continue to do that and they have that in in almost every single fan and the fans that will leave while I think it's admirable are in such a negligible number that it doesn't even bat their eyelid. People do this all the time in America. I'm, I'm a Knicks fan, right? They're like, they've been basically terrible for the last 20 years. Uh, they have had the same owner for the last 20 years and every year there's like two or three huge pushes to tell Knicks fans like stop supporting the team stop supporting them don't watch them because that's the only way the owner will sell and it's it's a ridiculous idea like you don't you know you don't really choose in a lot of ways who you support how you support a team how it comes about is like an emotional connection that it's not necessarily it's not rational right fandom isn't rational it's not like this 
cold-hearted business calculation unless you're the Glazers or Florentino Perez. <laughs> exactly. um, but like, like to just like as disgusted as I might be with all of this stuff, like this idea that I'm going to stop watching, it's just it's nonsense. And it's like anybody like you remember you guys remember when when Ed last year was so disgusted by them coming back from for Project Restart, he wasn't going to watch. Until we were winning and we were playing really fun football, and then he started watching it. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just—it's not realistic. You're—you're going to watch it. You're going to eventually succumb to it. (laughs) Yeah, look, I mean, some people obviously do, and you know, you can go back to when the Glazers came in, and there was a few thousand United fans who gave up their season tickets and set up a whole different club. But it's a small amount at the end, and that was actually the worst thing that happened to our fan base—that it split our fan base between the people who said we want to stay watching. The people who said, I'm giving up my season ticket, I'm going to watch another club. And yeah, I've seen a lot of people, even Imran said, if this goes through and whatever, I'm, I'm going to give up my season ticket. He's, he said that today. Um, it's something I kind of thought about. I'll definitely still keep watching United, but I'll have to think very long and hard about whether I would want to pay. And especially we have this kind of auto cop scheme that forces you to pay for what would be these Super League matches, whether you like it or not. So that would leave, you know, it's already but something Nick, I don't Nick, like. Nick, you could watch us play Real Madrid 18 times in one year. It'd be amazing. Like, is that not what we all want? Like, also, that's one thing we haven't talked about. I don't want that either. I want to see us pump Stoke 9 1. Do you know what I mean? I, like, that's those are the games I enjoy just as much as, you know. Also, Europe is just an awfully nervy affair sometimes. And you're just, you're so willing to come back to the nice warm blanket of, you know, what should be easy wins in the Premier League sometimes and I, I just think variety is the spice of life I think but that's as well like you say the reason why it is is because you're like if we lose today to whether it's Real Madrid Barcelona we don't even know if we're going to be there next year or yeah, when we're going to have well, this exactly. chance again yeah. whereas when you're like well it's alright yeah. we'll, we'll have this chance again next year also from the structuring of it it looks like it's going to be more games than the current Champions League which should already be less games per year like that's another thing that's just crazy there's also just like there's something that's culturally like european games are different than Premier League games which are different than la liga matches which are different than Serie A matches like there's like a culture to how it's played yep. in different countries yep. and and that kind of thing is really special about um european football I, like that, that's actually something that very much separates it from american sports where it's like there are just very very different elements to playing in these different countries and styles of play and what's encouraged like you know for me um like i always preferred watching the premier league to la liga and Serie A because it's a more physical league it's a more more of a contact sport it's a faster league um there's more like physicality to the game so i i always like that about it and then like you know what's going to happen when you have the super league where it's like am i going to have to seriously watch you know 10 matches a year where we're playing real or barca or juventus or whatever and it's like half the match is just a higher grade version of watching us play granada where it was like 30 minutes of them trying to get people sent off like i don't want to watch that um and i just think that like you know yeah like there is it is nice to come back and be like you know as annoying as it is to play a team like burnley um that's like a totally different style of match that you have to play than playing a team like 
Real Madrid, obviously. It's a totally different Real Madrid, challenge. Real Madrid in a semi-final of the Champions League is something that should only happen like every five years, ten years. And therefore, it's this really cool special occasion and we get these great historic ties. And like we remember back to Fat Ronaldo getting a stand ovation at Old Trafford <laughs> and we'll all just remember that and hold on to it. And then we might not play them again for six, seven years. And then it's Ronaldo coming back, the other Ronaldo and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's the fact that we don't play them every week is what makes it so good. And also the other side of that is the Premier League is such a good product at the moment that I just think it's so churlish to devalue that for your own you know, glorification. It's not even glorification because you're not actually earning anything in what they're suggesting. But the Premier League, you have this really engaging relegation battle. You have an unbelievable top four race, usually every single year that goes right down to the wire. And then you have whatever the title race is, whether it's City walking away with it or whether it is a really good one. And like this year, more than any, like the form of West Ham, Leicester coming up into it, Leeds being a brilliant package. There's so much about the league because more money has come into it and these teams do now have power to actually play good players and pay them well and keep them away from the big clubs that actually I think is evening out quite a lot of the the um the kind of classic top four top teams have all the have all the money in the power that we see in modern football. I want that to continue. I want those teams to get more and more money and and keep that kind of competitive level going. And to turn your back on that, particularly in this year of all years, is just again gross absolutely gross but we did also play yeah. football match that we should probably talk about in a whole different form <laughs> well yeah that was it you know i didn't want to cut all this short because there's so much to talk about and then i'm sure we're going to revisit this subject many many times in the coming months because things are going to change a lot and you know as i've said and i think you said as well Oshwin, i think there will still be parties sitting down things will change i'm pretty sure this will not come out as it's originally been shown out you know a lot of different parties are going to be there's basically a power war that is now starting in football there's all sorts of different sides in there fifa uefa the premier league even like governments getting involved players are still going to have to have their say yet managers fans are going to throw their hat in so there is a whole power war in global football which is just kicking off big style we're going to see what the ramifications of that are and yeah we'll follow it as it all goes on as Com mentions, we did originally plan to talk about actual real football. Uh, you know, Manchester United did have a football match yesterday. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys still want to talk about that now, or should we leave it or what? I'm happy to. Uh, the question is, do you want to do it in this podcast or just yes. stop and start a new recording? <laughs> let's just keep recording. Keep going. Yeah, let's, just keep, yeah, let's just keep recording. I mean, uh, as I said, yeah, we were going to have a kind of uh, positive episode of of, uh, talking about United beating Burnley and obviously qualifying now for the semi-finals of the Europa League, which I was kind of excited about. And now, never mind Champions <laughs> League, we're now talking about European Super Leagues. Uh, you know, that's the crazy thing. I was actually starting to get quite excited about the Europa League. And it's something I've had quite a lot of disdain for, like for most of the season. And even like less than two months ago, I said I'd be quite happy to go out of it. But uh, now that we're out of the FA Cup, now that we're kind of secure top four, all of a sudden the Europa League becomes something that I really, really, want to win and it's probably like now our priority of the season unless are we back in the title race what do you think Cole? Uh, 
No, I don't think we're back in the title race. I know everyone talks about how uh, I think City were behind by the same margin and all that kind of stuff, and they do look pretty washed out. But no, I still don't think we're in the title race. Although the point you make about the Europa League, I mean, the Europa League final is shaping up to be the ESL you know, <laughs> first shot, which is, you know, there's, there's an irony there that these two storied and amazing clubs that, you know, can't even get to the latter stage of the Champions League are going to hopefully fight it out for the um, Europa League title. But no, also, you know, that game against Burnley is probably a good advert for the ESL as well, because I am, I could not play Burnley again for quite a long time and I wouldn't really bat an eyelid. But yeah, look, as I say, we finally did beat that Burnley hoodoo. I mean, they were coming up to, <laughs> exactly. I think, painful. five years unbeaten at Old Trafford and the record is actually six years for Chelsea. So finally, yeah, we've done over that over there. And it, it was the typical story of having a pretty average first half and then coming out second half and getting the three points over there. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously we have our match day kind of Patreon over there and Jamie, you're every day at time at half time you're like we need to change half the team here it's not <laughs> happening um the passing the passing is just so bad oh my god i i can't keep saying i can't well, keep yeah, saying yeah. it man i it's can't just keep like, saying it, it, at half time every week the passing's atrocious like the movement's atrocious like it's it's so careless at times and I, i'm not even talking about passing in the final third i'm on about a transition of defense to midfield midfield and then going further out wide of midfield, going back into defence. The the passing's terrible. Like but in the second half, in the second half, we manage it. You know, I don't know what happens at half time. I I would need to. They need to get some cameras oh, in. Our half. I don't know. Orange what, slices. I think. What on earth happens at half time in our dressing room? Because it's just been like time and time again that we've been very average. Comes into half time, and now I just kind of expect it. I'm like, it's all right because we're going to win we in the to, second half. Before we go any further. We need to talk about 30 seconds in. Dean Henderson nearly makes one of the worst mistakes. Oh, God. I've seen, I've seen a keeper for make a long then. time because I haven't even a clue what he was. He was never winning that. Never winning that. I mean, there's two amazing things about that. First of all, how lucky he is just to get away with that, yeah. particularly the way the situation is now with him and David De Gea. The other amazing things are his cap in the second half and the fact that <laughs> in the second half he basically did the exact same thing that he did in the first 30 wiped seconds. Wiped out Lindelof, yeah. Wiped out Lindelof when he had no reason to go anywhere near that ball. And it's weird because, um, you know, that's kind of a rock the boat performance for a lot of people on Henderson, I think. Um, I am certainly not in that camp yet. I still think he was showing the things that I want to see. I still think the stats back up that he is an extremely good shot stopper, which a lot of people are getting drawn into this horrible. I mean, it's like Marshall and Rashford all over again. There's this kind of hor- horrible um, Manchester United online or fan discourse around De Gea and Henderson now and it's all like well you know De Gea is still the world's greatest <laughs> shot stopper ever and you sort of go well actually Henderson's proven to be a better shot stopper over the last two years statistically but no one wants to hear it we still have these kind of images of players in our heads and god forbid if anyone disagrees with how you view a player but it was a shaky game however he got through it you know and and ultimately as bad as some of the stuff looked it didn't actually transpire to um cause us any big issues i actually i actually thought we played okay um i thought our some of our attacking play was pretty good i thought we actually used the right hand side yeah. throughout the match which was pretty cool um i it it felt like somewhere around 20 minutes into the first half we actually abandoned playing wide and we just kept trying to go through the middle um which made it a lot easier for burnley um and then you know also like greenwood missed what i 
honestly could not believe he missed oh, yeah. that cross yeah. from Rashford. Um, and and I, 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 you know, what I, I, I will say, like, you know, before the match, Ole made a comment about, like, you know, uh, this is like the first time Rashford has said, you know, he feels great. He not that he's like he can go, but he actually feels great. And I thought Rashford looked electric yesterday. Um, he he was, you know, he had that elastico. He he was he looked phenomenal. I thought his his run um, and then the assist for Greenwood, which with, with a nice little uh, not not an assist, but a nice dummy for for Bruno. But that, that was just a really satisfying piece of play um, from Shaw playing it to Rashford and everything. That was just really really good. Um, and you know, I thought the end like i thought we deserved to win and and we the goals we scored were really good the, the first and third goal were, were really really good goals um I, I was pretty happy with that performance i actually and i i liked um i liked ole's subs like i, I think he actually had a plan going into the match that hey we want to get through 45 minutes and then i'll bring on cavani and we'll go with just pogba and, and uh scott in the middle and i just thought like i it felt like a very professional we're better than you and we're going to take the three points performance. Yeah, I think that's one of the big things is the kind of weird better than you attitude which has been missing from United for so long, even when we have had the kind of better players. And I thought that was pretty evident yesterday as well because Burnley are a super tough team to play. Like they do sit in really, really well. And I thought we, I agree with you, I thought we moved the ball about really quite nicely, pretty slick. And um, I appreciate what Jamie said. There was straight passes. Bruno was pretty frustrated in the first half. Aaron Wambasaka, I'll actually say, was pretty <laughs> decent. Um, and looked to have a bit of a spring. Did you die after. a little bit inside? No, like I'm happy enough. I, I like seeing him <laughs> do better and it was actually better on the attacking side and then he made a few good recovery ones which we know he can do, obviously. Um, but yeah, I thought we moved the ball out really nicely. We just kind of got lost a wee bit, I think, in the latter. It's kind of the second half of the first half, if you know what I mean, when the goal didn't come, which I think is really typical. Like that is, as Nick says, that is kind of the, the journey of this United team in every single 90 minutes at Old Trafford is that we start like relatively sharp, pass the ball about nicely. We don't score in the first five minutes and then we all suffer a crisis of confidence until half time when it all ages them up or until we concede a goal and then we're sparked back into life. But <laughs> I just would say again, like Greenwood, I mean, McTominay gave up um, interview after the match where he said you know we all have seen him be like our best player over the last few weeks and I was quite surprised to see him say that because I feel that and I feel like watching Greenwood has consistently among the attackers certainly even when he wasn't scoring even though he's got a couple recently was consistently being like the best of those over the 90 minutes with all his touches all his passing all his sharpness and for him to kind of come out and say that the dressing room had sort of seen that his performance level was the highest of anyone the last few weeks I thought was really indicative um, and kind of backs up what we've been saying for a few weeks but I just thought again he was absolutely excellent yeah I think that is the big takeaway from this game and the last month or so has been Cavani and Greenwood coming back to scoring form because it's been a major issue of ours all season that we've not had a centre forward who's like hitting form I mean Rashford has done well mostly from the left um, and this was the big you know talking point at the start of the game was I think I expected when I saw the team sheet that Greenwood was playing up front but he actually went with Rashford up front mm-hmm. Greenwood right Pogba left and then changes it at half time which is rare from Ole as I said Jamie you're always begging for those half-time subs and we very rarely see them but this time he actually did it takes out that defensive midfielder Fred pushed proper there brings on the extra attacker and it made the immediate difference uh, you know we had that goal within literally like minutes even though it would end it give away our typical set piece goal as well uh, you know all the typical things we see happen in this match bad first half 
come and do something second half, give away a set-piece goal. Uh, you know, it all came there. But as I say, for me, the big takeaways from the past month or so, and very, very good omen for going into this last bit of the season, is that Cavani and Greenwood are looking good and are scoring. Uh, you know, Martial, we know, has been written off now. Uh, Rashford, for me, always needs to play on the left because we've tried him right. He's also played centre-forward just in the last couple of weeks and he just never seems as comfortable. And I think that's the Ole's kind of recognised that now and uh yeah look that's what feeling good over there going with that the only thing is always who is going to start there whether it's Cavani whether it's Greenwood we see who goes from there and makes the difference and as I said even not just the Burnley game we need to talk about the fact that we've of course qualified beat Granada it was a relatively easy one on the day but uh, the big thing is just getting through that and that obviously Coming up on this weekend, we have Leeds United. And then straight after that, we're straight back into the Roma doubleheader, basically, uh, you know, which is going to be a bit more of a test. And probably we will come and talk about that a bit more. Uh, I think we'll just focus on that Leeds game at the moment because, yeah, we'll record after that. Um, but, yeah, Leeds United coming up. They've managed, what, a late draw today with the Liverpool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we we gave them an absolute spanking earlier in the season. It was one of our, you say best performances, but it was one of those few days where we did score first and just take it without having to worry at half time. And it is that kind of Bielsa style of football that's a bit more open and maybe plays towards our strengths. But I'm assuming they won't be as naive this time round after we did that to them at Christmas. I don't know. They, they, seem, to, they seem to be dedicated to... To that style of playing, like even when they played Man City the other week, I know they went down to ten men and it was backs to the wall a wee bit for them, but they were still really adventurous with ten men. They still tried to foray forward and try and make chances on the break, and obviously that's how they ended up winning the game was because they 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 broke away. There was a well worked through ball and they ended up scoring. I still think, yeah, I know what you mean. We we scalped them. At the, at the Old Trafford games. <laughs> yeah, scalped them uh, at Old Trafford. But I, I, think, I just think they're dedicated to playing that way. I, I don't see them changing. Yeah, I think they'll kind of play in our favour again. I was really nervous about that game at Old Trafford because you've kind of seen them be, not giant killers, but they've just given such good account of themselves in so many big games and in all the rest of the games as well. You know, they've been a, an extremely um, good team to watch this year. And I did think that kind of high-energy press was going to cause us a lot of issues. And as you said, Nick, it really couldn't have gone better for us. And that was a really uh, a good day. So they didn't actually look great today against Liverpool, to be honest. Like it was, both teams were contriving to not take three points in that game, I think. Um, and also they're currently missing Rafinha, who's, uh, you know, playing on the right wing. So has been absolutely superb. Certainly a player I wouldn't mind at all if we were looking at, if we're not getting Jadon Sancho. But um, I don't know if his injury is going to carry through. But certainly if it did, that'd be no bad thing because he's a huge, huge, huge miss for them. Really stifles their creativity, I think, a wee bit um, and would make me a lot more confident about the match. Yeah, look, that's the one. And it's the first time we have a midweek break as well. We, yeah. We're like gone this whole season playing twice a week, twice a week, twice a week, but actually got a few days off uh, to think about it. And yeah, think about more about the Euro- European Super League and things like that before it's coming up. But yeah, we do then have a bit of a crazy run coming up which is uh, Leeds, Roma, Liverpool, Roma uh, you know shame that again fans are not in the stadium because all those three matchups are some of the most feisty you'll ever have as a Manchester United fan I mean obviously everybody knows the Liverpool one, Leeds 
were the first time after years and years that we would have gone to Ellen Road is a real shame. And then, yeah, there's a lot of animosity between Manchester United and Roma over the years. Uh, I've never actually done one of those trips myself, but I can remember people getting yeah. injured and stabbed and things like that out in Rome at certain times. So, yeah, between those fans, there is definitely no love lost. And maybe it's a good thing that it's behind closed doors and that we're not going to see any kind of uh, revival of that kind of rivalry. But as I said, yeah, it is a kind of month. Leeds, Roma, Liverpool, which in times of fans going to matches could have ended up in uh, quite a lot of like aggro going there. But yeah, it's different times at the moment. Uh, so yeah, it'll be more about the football, thankfully. Um, but yeah, we've rushed through kind of com- covering the matches and things like that because obviously the big focus was all the talk about the European uh, Super League. I think, you know, we've got some different kind of opinions in there, which is, and I, I think as well, like because we just don't know all the details yet, it's like difficult to totally go into it. But I think we're all pretty unanimous that our biggest issue is this idea of the closed shop without relegation, that it's not a meritocracy. And that, you know, is the biggest problem with the whole thing and why it just smells and it's not the right way forward. But as I said, personally, I still think there's a long way to go in this. There's going to be a lot of challenges. I think there's still going to be a lot of talks between different parties. And yeah, we'll cover it as we go on over there. Um, Give a shout out to our usual sponsors, Manscaped. Do go and check them out, manscaped.com. Use the code UNITEDHOUR to get your 20% off. I know, yeah, all four of us have been <laughs> enjoying and That's why, yeah, everybody's looking so prim and proper, right? Although, yeah, I'm not showing the <laughs> right end of the Manscaped parties over here, but yeah. <laughs> you can still use those things on your face as well, but yeah, obviously it's not meant for over there. But yeah, head over to manscaped.com. Use the code United Hour, and yeah, the usual stuff. Hit us up on social media. I mean, yeah, just to say, I don't know yet, but we are trialing doing a bit of video and things like that. The YouTube side of it has been something that we've completely ignored, but yeah, we're testing it out, and you may start seeing some of uh, stuff appearing over there. So yeah, the YouTube channel, go and have a look. We are on there, uh, even though we've kind of ignored it. But yeah, if you subscribe over there, you will start seeing a few things appearing on the YouTube. Side and yeah please do let us know the feedback uh, but yeah we'll still be sticking with the podcast so yeah check us out in the usual places itunes spotify whatever uh, yeah it's been an extended episode of united hour because yeah so much to talk about we will be back after that leeds game for sure reviewing that and then talking more in depth about the europa league i think for now that's a good night from me Drew. good night from me good night troops Podcast Network.